0: Welcome to the fourth installment of Talent Summit Back to Basecamp podcast series. We've invited some of our most influential speakers and special guests back to Basecamp to share their insights and thought leadership as the working world transforms at pace as a result of the COVID crisis. This series will explore how HR leaders can affect a more robust recovery while enhancing the working lives of our people. I'm Robert McGill of founder of Talent Summit and CCO of Sigma Recruitment. Joining me this week in Basecamp, we have Jane Data, the Chief HR Officer at NASA, Mira Magesha, the Chief People Officer at Just Eat, and Fiona Mullen, the Chief People Officer at Ding. This crisis has asked big questions of HR leaders. As the fundamentals of business and humanity collide, we'll examine how HR leaders can influence a more effective recovery and explore whether this human crisis is the defining moment for the chief people officer as the financial crisis was for the chief financial officer. Good afternoon from sunny Dublin. Welcome to the fourth instalment of the Back to Basecamp Talent Summit series and thank you all for tuning in. Uh, We've over 1,100 in fact uh, tune in from over 20 countries Um, you're all very welcome um, and thanks for joining. We last convened in Dublin at Talent Summit uh, a little under 12 weeks ago and we explored the theme of the evolving role of the chro and it's probably fair to say that since then that it's moved from an evolutionary stage to somewhat of a revolutionary state, uh, given the, the the crisis that we've been through in recent weeks uh, and in, in a recent article in fact in the economist it drew the conclusion and it drew the parallel um between uh, it compared the cpo function In what it's going through right now through this human crisis Um, and it compared it to the impact and influence of the CFO uh, uh, as the 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 recovery from the global financial crash got underway Um, and it it asked the question is this the defining period uh, for the CFO for the decade to come and to explore that theme and much more I'm delighted to be joined today by Jane Tata, who is the CHRO of NASA, all the way from uh, Virginia, I believe, Jane? Yes. Welcome,
1: welcome, welcome. Thank you. Uh,
0: Thank you. also joined by Mira Migeisha, who's a CPO from Just Eat, uh, who's tuning in from London. Welcome, Mira.
2: Thank you, looking forward to it. Yeah,
0: likewise, likewise. And our very own Fiona Mullen, uh, who's the CPO of DING, and tuning in from Dublin. Welcome, Fiona.
3: Thank you, Robert. Great to be here.
0: Good to see you guys. And thank you so much for taking time to join us. Um, I might start this. uh, I was looking into some of the um, NASA's history, uh, Jane, and this is my my fourth time to collaborate with NASA. Um, And I said it to you earlier, like every time we get the opportunity to engage, Like the warmth of the experience and the consistency and the positivity uh, of your people is truly a credit to you. Uh, And my experience has always been very, very, um, very positive. uh, And again, it challenges my thinking continuously. So delighted we get the chance to collaborate once more.
1: I looked here.
0: Brilliant. And I I looked at JFK's um, his famous moon speech, and there was a quote from it. And I think it's as is as applicable today as it was back in 1962. So during that famous um, announcement, JFK said, "This we meet in an hour of change and challenge, in a decade of hope and fear." Mm -hmm. And he went on, "We choose to go to the moon not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Uh, Mm -hmm. That goal will serve to organize." and measure the best of our knowledge and skills, the most hazardous, dangerous, and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Jane, my opening question to you is, since the outbreak of COVID, how has your team embraced this hazardous, dangerous task during this hour of change and challenge?
1: Thanks, Robert. Well, uh, there are a lot of things I could share, but let me start with um, the idea that NASA, all the way back to 1958 when we were founded, um, has always been a very people-driven agency. Um, Someone came to work for me a few years ago, and um, when he left, he said, I came thinking you were a data agency, but you're actually a people agency. And I thought that that really encapsulated so well who we are. And the, there is this spirit of adventure and taking hard pro, no problem is too hard. And so I think when we entered the COVID era, that same spirit came to bear. Um, and I but I think that um, unlike the traditional, okay, what are all the steps that we need to make this mission happen properly? All of a sudden, it kind of got inverted, and it was about how do we actually look after our people because we are a people agency, and and so. And I, you know, I was actually, I and and a, a small team from my organization were working with the senior most leadership of the agency from the get-go. And it's because it would the a lot of the issues that we were facing early on were like, I we 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 know this is going to affect our people and we don't know quite what it is yet. And it's emerging and changing every day. And what do we do? And and so I think that. In typical NASA fashion, we said this is yet again another problem that we will find our way through. We are going to do this, and some of the keys to our success in at least bringing some, uh, some, you know, some structure and some um, some good thinking around how to work, look after our people came from the fact that we took this senior leadership core and we said we have to figure this out together and we have to figure it out for the whole organization if we just said okay every field center you're on your own that would not have worked um, for so many reasons and so The voice to the people was highly consistent, not only about the fact that they came first, and I'm talking about not just our civil servants, but also our contractor populations because it's a blended workforce at NASA. And so we didn't want to feel like somehow it was just all about our civil servants. So when we think about looking after our people writ large, here are the things that we know are important we established a framework, we worked on policy issues, we had you know consistent communications all up and down, anything from town halls to written comms, a website where everything is. So these are all sort of just examples of how I think we tackled this in in traditional, wonderful NASA style that we actually started with the big picture and then we broke it down into its parts and worked each of the parts, but we kept it really well integrated like any other system that you work in. And um, But it was it was fueled by this sense of passion for looking after our people, which is again sort of how we've started and gone on for all of these decades of our existence. And it's why I work at the agency because that's how they are.
0: Jane, did it tell me the if you look at your function and the team that you lead right now so so are there any particular steps that you you and your team have taken that have had a great leap effect on the organization
1: um yes uh, um <laughs> so with, with respect to COVID, i presume you're asking yeah i, I yeah, think for sure um so i think that we're really three things that we did first of all i was up there with the leadership and what that said to the workforce is we matter because our our people organization is there with everyone else and so it wasn't just engineers and and mission people it was our people uh, the head of our people office was there. And That's number one. Number two, my team at large did, made, made, made sort of two primary contributions. One had to do with flexibilities and messaging to the workforce about looking after themselves, balancing work and personal lives. And then as things came down from the Office of Personnel Management, which is our federal government-wide organization that deals with policy things, we sort of took what they gave us and then we extended it out rapidly and we took as much flexibility as was allowable. So that was important because You know, we we wanted to make sure that with schools closed and daycares closed and all of the things that allow people to run their personal lives completely disrupted, that it was really important that we did what we could within the boundaries of law, rule and regulation to help people deal with, you know, working and and looking after their families. So that was one big thing. The other big thing, which I think is something that we will continue on with, it's given us kind of a uh, a leg in a leg up in in working with our supervisors and managers is that we created a series specifically for them um, I've long held the belief that our supervisors are they're where the work and the workforce come together and so helping them help their workforce is as much a contribution as us talking directly to the workforce uh, and so we put together virtual sessions for them on a whole variety of different topics and uh, got panels of their peers and and we basically pr- provided an opportunity for them to share across of course we do a lot of collaboration across NASA so that's very much of a hallmark but we are very field center specific and so one of the things that was different about this was we were intentionally getting supervisors and managers across the enterprise to actually share with one another in a in a way that was uh, very important because it was such a it was more crisis and so You know, so anyway, that's what I would say are some pivotal things we did.
0: Well, I spoke to one of your colleagues, Jane, um, and I asked them their view in terms of the impact of you and your function over the last number of weeks. And the feedback was that the speed, scale, and impact of the communication was as effective, if not the most effective, it has ever been in the history of NASA. So, again, credit to you uh, and and your colleagues. I'm glad to hear that. Mira, I'll bring it on to you. Um, Good to see you. the, the the article I referenced in The Economist, uh, you pointed me towards that as I was knee-deep in The Star and Daily Sun. Um, and uh, so, so it was an interesting one to observe and to compare the function of CPO and function of CFO. If I ask you to look at, say given the magnitude of the kind of people-centered decisions we've been through in recent weeks, how do you feel say, your function, the HR function. I'm very conscious that it doesn't stand alone, it's not in isolation, uh, and it is very much collaborative. But what do you feel, your 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 function, or how has it impacted the organisation most beyond the traditional remit of HR?
2: I think that's a really interesting question because during... Various different crises. it's the CFO, and and that's basically what the article talks about in terms of during the recessionary period, it was the CFO that came to the forefront of the business. What we have here is what is the role of people function? And to the point that some organizations are still struggling with what that is, um, I think this is the forefront of how do we manage our internal workforce that therefore commercially doesn't impact Our business as a whole. So how do you set up who we have, what they're doing, how they operate to the fact that what Jane was just talking about in terms of the world was a array. We haven't got parents who can go to um, send their children off to school. They're actually having to balance and manage the work alongside the caring responsibilities and that's just not caring responsibilities for young children it's also the most vulnerable who could be your parents and so how do you create that opportunity to still deliver but provide the flexibility i remember joining the workforce 20 odd years ago um, and one of my first consulting gigs was we won a piece of work with the cipd to go what's the world of smart working i kind of reflect back 20 odd years later and go The world hasn't fundamentally shifted in terms of what we mean by smart working. And so COVID has enabled us to kind of go, everybody has to work from home. It's meant that our teams are more connected, which is weird because you're in the office, you're sitting right next to each other. But actually what COVID has enabled us to do is get an insight into people's real life, get to know them at a more human level, because guess what? the little one, does pop up onto um, VC calls when when you're on video. And so you can't just go, I'm on a call and shout and shut the door behind you. You actually have to deal with that, which means you're bringing in your real life and who you are and setting up the organisation to kind of deal with that, being able to go, it's okay not to be present. So we had a whole, we've been doing weekly surveys, for example, and going, people are seeing and it was about presenteeism so you're away from the office you're not around your colleagues and people felt like they needed to be on constantly so how do you support people through that people were feeling like all they could do was sit in front of a pc and screen going to take coffee breaks etc just wasn't happening as much and if you were having coffee you were having virtual coffees so again it was screen time and how do you create a connected workforce by giving them space And so we did lots of things around mental health. Um, We created and we have actually a wellness hub where we were directing people to that to say, here's some tools, here's some techniques to help you through mental health um, and mental wellbeing. Um, Here's some actual classes that we're gonna run for you around physical health um, so that you are moving and you are moving away from your desks and away from what you're doing in front of your screen um, we've had some resilience people come in and talk about resilience and how you build that. And, and at, as a people function, we've kind of been at the forefront of how do we help the business through this, but also how do we align it with what we're doing with our partners outside of the people function? So, yes, we're internally focused from what we're doing, but also we don't want to have one view of life for our employees and yet treat our partners who are external and our further stakeholders differently. So it's about coming together and and a bit like what Jane did, we had senior leaders come together right from the beginning of what is our approach to this across all our stakeholder groups and we wanted to be as consistent as possible in terms of how we treated um, all of those guys.
0: Interesting observation Mira. and it it seems in one way that we've shifted from the employee experience more to the human experience and the kind of trifecta that i would see yeah. that's kind of surfaced in these conversations is the kind of the 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 how interwoven say work family and societal impact and value has all changed so dramatically and in many ways it feels like we're living in society again not in an in economy you know um,
2: absolutely and and i kind of talk about this in terms of I'll talk about it from a UK-centric point of view, but London is the hub of lots of city centres. People come together, they come in, and they expect to get an amazing coffee. Actually, I want to be able to get an amazing coffee wherever I am. So does this actually impact? And when we go back into the workplace or the workplace opens again, are my expectations and my colleagues' expectations actually different? Do we expect the high street to change as a result of that will we actually really enjoy our neighborhood and where we live will that become part of our communities and therefore change society as a whole because I still want really great coffee um, but I want it more local to where I am I don't want it as local to where I am when I'm in the office I just want great coffee everywhere so are we going to see the community part of that open up as well and and it societally be very different to what we've had for the last 20 odd years
0: interesting this this coffee is terrible but the bug is good so anyway <laughs> it's uh mira I'll just stick with you for one second i feel i'll come to you in a minute if i may you mentioned looking inside and outside of 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 the people function mira and an interesting trend kind of emerged really accelerated last year uh with the appointments of non-executives so from the HR world. So HR chiefs has been appointed as non-executives and there was a notable appointment at Tesla um, and it was uh, the appointment of the, the global CHRO from Walgreens. Um, and I, there were probably a number of societal changes and drivers uh, that kind of acted as a catalyst around that trend. But you yourself are a non-executive director on two boards, I see. Uh, and I'm curious to know where you feel you've impacted um, the those organizations coming from the world of uh, HR or the people world? And reversely, w- what lessons have you brought back into the people function that you've picked up being a non-executive in those organizations?
2: So For me, to be in the people function full stop, you need to be commercial. And so we have the traditional function of people which is let's get the standard contracts out let's get let's get the paperwork out let's ensure we're paying our people on time but actually i think the world of hr and people has fundamentally shifted covid's just an example of how further we can take that and what that could mean but i think organizations have started to see the value and everyone every organization i've ever worked for or talked to talks about people being the heart of that business what do they really mean by that and do they really understand what that is we could have a single challenge over here which is the same challenge over here but actually what you need to do to deal and support with that challenge or concern is very different because us as humans all require different things and so how does a business approach the same problem but differently given the context in which it's operating, how the people operate, who they're actually dealing with and deal with them as a human and as an individual. And so my non-exec roles give me the opportunity to kind of bring in that commerciality, but then add the lens of people. And that's the same as what I come back to my team and say is it's great to be a great HR professional, but how do you have the lens of the commerciality before you go out and make a suggestion, how do you constantly battle sometimes, which one's the right approach? And we have to take tough decisions sometimes because that's the commercial reality of the world in which we live in. But at the same time, what's the humanistic approach and how do you deal with people at a human level with humility and the care and assistance that you need? And both of those things come together. And I think more and more organizations are going, commercially, yes, we have to, achieve and survive and and prosper but at the same time if we genuinely are true about human uh, humans about people being the center and the heart of our business how do you make that a reality and those two things have to come hand in hand
0: like it and uh, thanks for that insight mira i i might just stick with that one piece of the impact of hr leadership and fiona i just see i think you're on mute there thank you the um you spoke at the very first iteration of Talent Summit over a decade ago. Uh, uh, looking well. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember it very clearly. Uh, so first of all, thank you for being there to get it off, um, up and running. And uh, and again, it's it, it's got a lot of momentum since. So so thank you sincerely for that. Uh, but back then you were at Microsoft. Um, and I know since then you moved into a lot of kind of global uh, roles, you've traveled the world. You landed back in Facebook, you headed up HR for Mia for Facebook, and then you uh, headed up International HR for Facebook before joining DING, which although so very much a purpose driven or mission driven organisation, is somewhat smaller. What have you noticed around the impact of your role and how have you found through this crisis, how have your C-level colleagues leaned on you and how is, does that collaboration look Differently in a smaller organisation.
3: Well, thank you. First of all, it's great to be here. Um, And you're right. I I took the plunge into a smaller um, tech uh, company. I guess Um, I was looking forward to um, something that was at a different stage um, for me. And I, I, you know, haven't looked back at all. Although many challenges I didn't anticipate, as you could imagine. And. in some ways, you know, there's a lot of difference, but there's also at the heart, a very similar approach. And, and I love what Mira said around just, you know, people at the heart and, and you know, also a NASA, you know, to all kind of ultimately technology businesses with, with very, very diverse applications, but with people very much at the center. Um, I think the thing for me that is the same and has been the case certainly in my career, but very, very particularly over the course of my time at Facebook, is that there is the the core of what we do within the HR function, enabling talent and and businesses perform uh, through that in whatever form it is, through scale or change, et cetera. Um, But I think the thing that I have really noticed and has helped me learn has been the kind of uncharted territory, the new ground of challenges that emerge. That uh companies or industries haven't experienced before and that have an impact on people. And it, it does feel much more frontier-like um, than the, the kind of box that HR has been put in over a period of um generations uh in kind of risk mitigation or taking care of, in that um you know the challenges certainly the the challenges that I experienced at Facebook of one of scale of newfound responsibilities and impact that a company was having in the world that we never really anticipated about the engagement that you have when you have you know thirty thousand employees online talking to each other all at the same time on a platform internally the the internal equivalent of of Facebook essentially and dealing with Cambridge Analytica dealing with then now a new crisis is that you know, you have tools, you know, I have tools, we all have tools in our kit bag around dealing with crisis, but the characteristics of those are very different. And the expectations that that people and humans um, have of their companies now are very, very different. And in fact, the role that we expect of ourselves is very different and it is human at the centre. Um, and so in that sense, it's been very similar at Ding as it's been at Facebook in that, you know, um, you are first and foremost, Sorry, you're you're first and foremost a human. You're secondly a leader, and you're thirdly managing the people function, and all of those things come together in that response. And that's the same at Ding. It's this was absolutely the same at at Facebook. Of course, at Facebook, there's you know a lot more playbooks, um, a lot more people to consult with, um, to to go and execute. At you know Ding, it's okay. We don't have a playbook. Let's figure it out and get on with it. And everybody's willing to help and be engaged in the solutioning of it, um and look I think there's you know there's lots of positives in that whole experience and and I think we'll get to that discussion Um, but certainly for me and and the people team um, I I, I guess you know it it was um, a forming of of us and how we work with the rest of you know the company um, and uh, you know a moment of truth I guess and how we really think about ourselves as humans and a bit of a leveling between yeah. everybody that worked for the company.
0: I, I love the way you categorize that the, the, the human first, leader second, and HR third. Uh, that gives a very clear sense of priority, of I'm sure it's a good handrail to help navigate difficult decisions and motivation and, and everything that comes with that. Looking at that transition, if you want to say, from a large organization to a smaller organization, although going through rapid growth and may catch up very soon. Um, if you look at, say, the stakeholder relationship of HR leadership, and if you look at the visibility, I suppose, if I zoom that back to the last global financial crash for the CFO, so all of a sudden they became much more visible to shareholders, their societal impact became part of their remit and their portfolio, um, and the, the the visibility certainly increased. How do you see that piece play out over the course of this recovery, Fiona?
3: Well, I I think it's going to be really interesting (laughs) to use that cliche. Um, But I think it is about accelerating a change that was already occurring um, and perhaps more acutely in the technology industry. But I'd point to issues of diversity and the obligations that employers have now, and certainly the employee demands on companies in issues of equality and um, on where we stand on social issues and sometimes on political issues and certainly in a company like Facebook um, those demands were very high and so the people function and me and others were hugely accountable for um, the, you know the, the behaviors um, and the perceived behaviors that the company was taking at a point in time Um I've got a weird point to make but I'll make it which is know there are our peers who have been fired over the recent over recent years for issues that have emerged either that haven't been taken care of appropriately largely issues of equality and diversity and ethics um or that were kind of um tried to be sorted and not sorted or indeed ignored and whilst that's really uncomfortable you know for those individuals and for those companies Um, actually there's a really good aspect of that which is a level of accountability that our function is seen as the custodian of the culture and the behaviors of companies and to the employee base and so you know historically we we have struggled I suppose as a function to um, play that commercial role influence the performance of our business through people and capability etc and we've you know we've definitely moved into the right seat at the table now, again to use another cliché, but the next frontier is actually um, looking at our employee base in the same way uh, and our perhaps even customers. um, So if you think about our employees in the same way as a CFO might think of shareholders and you think about culture as the mirror of the external brand and that matches I guess consumer behaviours. Um, The CPO, the CHRO, plays a hugely important and visible role as the custodian of that. Um, And I think um, there is a journey towards that. But the crisis that we have in our laps right now, I think, will accelerate that uh, progression for all companies. Um, And I I think it's a very bad thing that's happened. I think it's a very good thing that lots of companies have acted really well. Um, and that door is opened, I think, for our function across um, industries and markets um, to lead. But I, I do think it's an acceleration of a trend that was already in place, somewhat started probably from the last financial crisis.
0: Interesting. I, I thought this question out to the floor. And I want to stay with that kind of comparison. Uh, and again, if we harpoon back to that last financial crisis, um, the overcorrection that happened in the finance world immediately afterwards around um, say uh, austerity regulation. Do, do 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 you think there's a fear, Jane? I'll come to you. Do, do you think there's a fear and a risk that we overcorrect as people leaders and we somewhat get it wrong, or we 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 we, we prevent the flexibility and agility that, that that we believe we've captured over the last couple of weeks?
1: Um, Of course, there's always a risk that that will happen. Um, But I and I do believe that the transition back to. We call it normal operations, but sort of thing, things that are closely resemble what we had before is going to be slow and difficult. And so um, I think the one thing that will keep us honest about not over correcting is paying attention to um, learning. How, like, for us, you know, we are, we we basically said, hey, 90% of you. You're teleworking, and so uh, and but but there is mission work that can only be done on site, tests, testing, and and all sorts of um, hardware kind of related work that you really can't do from your home. And so now we're in a we're in a moment where we're going to start adding back very slowly and gradually on site work that allows for the mission work that has otherwise been on hold because we haven't been on site to go ahead and proceed. And so I think that we have intentionally gone at this slowly so that myself for the people business and my and the other members of the leadership team can actually figure out what's working and what's not and so I think there is a risk that we will be maybe over conservative but I also believe that um, that we have actually built in learning if that makes sense so and that that's the best way because we simply don't know how this is going to unfold between all of the medical uncertainties and you know how the communities around all of our facilities are going to actually uh decide to open and or reopen or shut back down again i mean there's just a lot of variables at play here and so i think that um I am reminded of how very puzzling it was at the very start when we were going the other direction and how you sort of like every day you just had to sort of listen and learn and then decide what the right thing was to do. It just wasn't clear. I think it's going to be actually even more difficult on the way back and I think it's going to last longer. And so uh, I think there is a risk of overcorrection. Maybe we don't go back as fast as we should have, could have. but as long as we are really paying attention and it's not just me and the people business but it's all the aspects of the business in this core team uh, to make the trades the risk trades if you will um, I think that's the best that we can hope for um, in navigating this total uncertainty really
0: so and I I hope Jane that we protect what we've gained throughout this great rediscovery Um, and I think that's a really vital thing and I think we as talent leaders by and large need to create and provide the oxygen for that conversation to continue way beyond recovery because eating bread is soon forgotten and we'll get to a point of the new normal and we be business as usual and i think that's something that we need to kind of champion um uh over the totally
1: yeah love I it. absolutely agree we're already talking about how we change the way we do business in some areas, like telework is a great example. We've always been teleworking. I mean, we, we, we were on the forefront of government agencies getting out, experimenting with telework, but I will tell you that a lot of people didn't and um, and didn't want to or did it very sporadically. And I think now with such a long experience with telework, Now we have people more accustomed to what that feels like, and I think there are a lot of advantages of us having more telework. And so my job in part is to figure out how I can continue some of those practices for the benefit of the agency, but most especially the people. So, yes.
0: Jane, I'd love the view from the ground from your people. So, from that handful of people working up in the International Space Station, banging on the window, saying, Oh, this is great teleworking. We're miles away, but we've been plugged out for so long, you know? So, you win the most remote workforce in the world, Jane. Uh,
1: right, teleworking on planet and off. That's the way nice. we talk about it. Love it,
0: love it. <laughs> Mira Fiona, I'll come back to you in a second. Stephen Quinn, welcome. Sorry, Good, to see Good to see you yeah, all right so so each week guys we bring in uh, a view from the ground and, and Fiona you mentioned culture and um, I, I'm just reminded of some of the work that Stephen and his team do at Jobbio. so uh, Stephen is CEO of Jobio an employer branding and talent attraction platform and uh, you've a, a network of media partners around the world Stephen with like News Corp and Beat. Um I'm keen to get the view on the ground say from your two million plus say job seekers across your platforms and also from the employers that you're working with uh, in recent weeks and days, Stephen?
4: Yeah, so um, thanks for having me, Robert. Uh, you should work for me with that sales pitch. Thanks, Mill. Um, uh, <laughs> I want to work with NASA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do I. Uh, so yeah, so do, do I, I look at this, I always um, look for the customers, right? Because we're an enabler, right? So we just, we're a technology platform that sits in between the the corporate and the, the talent, right? And we would create a lot of employer branding content for global brands, the Slacks and Airbnbs and these kind of people. Um, but interestingly, clearly that business is um, is waned because there's no one in offices to interview. There's no talking heads people to interview, to, to market uh, various roles and brands, et cetera. So we're seeing a lot of um, what we're seeing a lot of is the is the the need for internal content, right? So a lot of inbound interest in trying to figure out how to communicate to the people you have, and more importantly, uh, how to champion what you already do, uh, you know, rather than the external view of this, right? So, and and interestingly, even is 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 how to make people feel safe about coming back to work because going back to work is clearly you know even even the families of the people who are going back to work are anxious right so it's it's basically how corporates are managing to get back to work how it's going to be what it's going to be like in the office how are we telling our staff about it uh, is you know what is the new normal when i get back there and should i you know when i have to explain to my wife or husband later am i going to be able to responsibly say that it's going to be a safe environment to be etc right so so we're seeing a lot of that uh, coming in from a from a corporate level um now, obviously, from a talent perspective, it's it's really interesting. All the engagement um, around our emails is up considerably. People are obviously that's to do with the fact that a lot of people are find themselves, unfortunately, unemployed and um, now they're beginning to think about what they would really like to do in life and are, are, are looking deeply into brands to figure out, actually, have I been doing the right thing all, all along? Is there a company out there that suits me better? Uh, what type of company do I want to work for and not just have to work for? So these are the things that, that the talent are trying to figure out. We, we, you know, we see a, an absolute increase in about 75% of people are now looking online for your employer brand before applying at all, right? So it's actually too late to to be talking about employer branding on, uh, on your application page. You need to be touching people out in, in where they are in the world every day, right? Reading online, et cetera. Um, uh, but also, clearly, the remote work, the, you know, all of the job listings that have anything to do with remote work, working from home, flexibility, all the things that are now probably were becoming more important to, to people before this, but this just has accelerated it, right? So culture, mission, people, these are things that were becoming more important than flashy offices and, and you know, remuneration and holidays, right? But But this pandemic has really... Uh, accelerated that process overnight, right? And and is now the most important thing to people is, am I gonna get the flexibility? I actually like working from home. I I, I like being empowered and trusted. Uh, where can I find that? And th- and those are the things that, that we're seeing. Very
0: good, very good.
4: Stephen, I leave you run. I leave
0: you run. Thanks for that insight. And uh, okay. good health to you and the team in the meantime.
4: Thanks Emil, thanks for having me guys. Thanks Stephen.
0: Mir, I'll come to you, I, I'm just, just a building blocks from what Stephen said there around culture and around um, around the 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 workforce Uh, so you've over three and a half thousand employees um uh, around the globe and i know you guys work with a big third party contingent uh and a lot of those are gig workers i suppose um i'm curious to know right so the one thing that really jumped out at me in recent weeks is the value of work and the definition of say delivery drivers or cyclists from being um from from, from from being uh, um, precarious to now being essential. I've been fascinated, fascinated by that transition in recent weeks. Um, do, do you think that's a short-term kind of switch in value or do you think that's here to stay?
2: Personally, I hope it's here to stay because it, it, it's empowering. It's empowering to see the value that the whole society have play, has placed on what was previously deemed as low skill or or regarded as the lower end of the labor force. And actually, these people have risked themselves, have risked their health in order to ensure that the deliveries can be made to those who are more vulnerable um, and people can still get the items that they still require. So uh, personally, I'm hoping that society will think about drivers, school teachers, nurses, doctors, et cetera, with a different view. I've I've got family and friends who've been homeschooling as I'm sure most people have at the moment. And there's a whole campaign about actually, should we be paying our school teachers more because they've realized how difficult with their own children it is to keep them in a structured environment to get them learning. And actually you have teachers who are doing this on a more regular basis Every day, in fact, with plenty of children and, and trying to maintain some discipline and structure around their school day. And and, and, and genuinely, that applies to all walks of society. I, I, I'm fascinated to hopefully see this momentum continue and, and go, actually, we need to have a different view of who adds value. Because each person and each individual, again, going back to the human element, plays a different role in the whole of society. And each person adds value in different ways. And if we everybody added value up here in terms of the strategic high earners, then we wouldn't have a combined society that makes up what we actually need. So you need that flexible resource. You need that flexibility. You need people who are going to be doing the delivery driving, are gonna be the nurses, are gonna be doctors, but it should be a fair wage across the board for all.
0: Very good. And personally, I found the homeschooling thing being a big motivation to actually go into the office and work. Um, (laughs) It's uh, funny, the French benefits we see. Um, Fiona, I'll come to you, Um, this forced dislocation, it it happened very quickly and and by and large was done with a real light touch kind of consultation. And on one side kind of shows how we can mobilise at scale and at pace. if we look now at the kind of the, the reconvening and the reconnection of our workforce into a kind of a low touch economy, it's likely to be phased and to happen on a slower uh, footing, um, do, do, do you think we have a window where this renewed willingness to change um, is, is, is strongest? And do you think we can leverage that momentum in the short term to benefit our people and our organisation in the medium term?
3: I mean, I, I sound like like Jane and Mira, like I'm an optimist here because I think it's the only game in town right now. <laughs> um, and I don't know if anybody's seen, there's a lovely graph that our friends in Deloitte use and it has kind of evolution of technology over a period of time. It's very simple and it shows, relatively speaking, the ability of different cohorts to change. Um, and for me, it explained why, organisationally we're really bad at, at it, um, which is essentially, you know, the people who change most easily, easily are, are humans, individuals and the those that change most slowly are the kind of the structures, it's the laws and governments and policies and somewhere in between you get, you know, businesses of various different kind of types um and the challenge that we all face is that we think about organizational solutions for the kind of problems that or opportunities that we're talking about here um but actually i think the solution to this because humans at an individual level can respond to change much much faster than organizations can is to really put more of this in their hands and kind of speak to their individual needs rather than the kind of average or the structures because I think in doing that a will be slow and b um we, we just won't get it right because we'll be trying to solve for all things for all, all people so to speak um, and I think what was good about albeit in a very bad context about this change is that we we kind of said to everybody you do what's right for you and your family whether you're you know an employee but actually you're a human you're a parent you're a, a son or a daughter you're a carer you're a neighbor Put that first and then put all the other stuff second and then you'll figure it out and you tell us what you need to figure it out and um, so that to me is where this the solution to your question lies obviously i don't have all the answers but things that i'm thinking about are um you know i, I do think the workplace has changed but again i think that's expediting a process that was already begun to to point that Mira and jane have already mentioned you know work is not a place you go it's a thing that you do and it's the people you do it with And how we're going to operate in the future will be different uh, because of what we've experienced. And so I think, you know, the physical workplace you could see as being much more of a, you know, it's the coffee shop. It's the place to go and do things, but it's not necessarily the place you go to do your work and you the time over which you do at the nine to five. Like I think we've blown that out of the water. Maybe the five day week, like that is is kind of something to to think about as to what the right solution there is. I was, you know, an old colleague of mine at Facebook posted on LinkedIn there about a week ago that his his wife had been uh, his role had been terminated at Airbnb, and she I don't know if you saw but she'd posted a request to Air to LinkedIn to to offer a different location option because right now it was for you to pick your Sorry. location and she said please pick remote because right now I'm a person for hire and I'll work for anybody and given we're all at home it doesn't really matter and I thought, oh gosh that's you know simple simple but that's an illustration of you know one person with one need that will have hum- that will have pretty widespread application and if you were an employer suddenly you're now looking at you know we've all talked about global workforces in the past and opening offices and how we acquire the world's best talent but actually in some ways this is the biggest opportunity to connect with the world's best talent
0: like, just, Fiona, yeah. just on that very point so, so this is what I've been fascinated with at NASA for, for a period of time and I think there's a lesson for all of us in this and when I look at your organization Jane um, and if I look say 20 years ago you guys had the monopoly on space exploration you you were the agency and then you had private sector entrance so you had Blue Origin you had Virgin Galactic and uh, SpaceX so all in yeah. very very short space of time so then there's a race for talent uh, from poaching talent uh, from you. Um, and looking at that, um, that, that, that competition and the shift that, that's happened over 20 years, I now see next week, you have the first human space launch from US soil in the last 10 years and you're doing it in collaboration with SpaceX. So your ability, excuse the expression, to pivot from competing to collaborating and what that means to your talent supply chain I think is fascinating and I think there's there's something in that that Fiona has raised around this new sense that we have uh, access to global supply chain of talent. What have your observations been that has enabled that level of, of collaboration with your competition Jane?
1: Well, um, thanks for the question, and um, I could probably talk for three hours on this, but so let me condense it to a few key put
0: points. You three for minutes, one. <laughs> there
1: uh, so you know, this there was a, a a policy change some years back around really building the human spaceflight, particularly, but the 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 e you know the the business base, and so that we were moving from. We've always had partners. Industrial partners always, but it was more I give you a contract and some requirements and then you give me back what I've asked for. And that's that was sort of a little bit more the nature of the relationship. The nature of the relationship with our commercial partners is very different. They are actual partners. They bring resources to bear. And the idea here is that we are actually getting them prepared to be able to do work that we would traditionally have done ourselves. And so, um, you know, this commercial crew and cargo um, program that started um you know a handful of years ago and of, of which the launch is the first with crew on it that we've had since we began that program is an incredible milestone in nasa's history so i want i can't emphasize that enough because you're right this is not just a nasa vehicle but it is a vehicle that was developed by spacex in partnership with us so that we were we were our role had changed now i think that there's more of that to come as we we go back to the moon and on beyond to that to mars and that it's going to be much more of a combined you know uh, commercial industrial and nasa and so what it's required of us is a certain kind of uh, flexibility um that we um really redefining the nature of collaboration and i i can't tell you that we were able to turn a switch and do that do that quickly. I think that it's an it's still more something of an evolution for us to really you know change what we see as our work and enable our partners to be able to do it. Uh, so that's really the nature of the collaboration from a human capital perspective. One of the things that we have been doing is trying to um, shift the culture of NASA a little bit to help support this in this evolution and the way you know NASA is people are fiercely loyal to NASA. So we tend to have people who stay for 25 or 30 years. And so we are an older population, very long-term serving. We call them the NASA family, just to give you an idea of that. And so um, because of that, um, you know, the, the personnel that we have at the agency tends to be a little bit more static over time. Our attrition rates are typically 3 or 4% a year. It's not very much. And so as there's the world around us is changing and all of these new entrants are, getting to be more sophisticated in their knowledge about how to do this you know we still are have the population that we have. And so um, we've been talking on a human capital basis about having what we call a porous border to NASA. So this idea that rather than you come and you stay and then you're a part of the family and we never let you go is this idea of project based employment and having people come, go work for Blue Origin, come back, go again, go work for SpaceX. But this idea of coming back and forth between uh, you know, industry and um our commercial companies and and NASA is really healthy. It's part of a growing ecosystem essentially. And so recognizing the ecosystem that's around us and doing things that are more they're very you know personnel related, but which are supposed to be supporting this notion that you don't have to have a whole career at NASA. But wouldn't it be great if you understood all of those different kinds of perspectives? So Interesting,
0: really, really interesting, Jane, and and you mentioned you opened your answer with the word policy. And I think what policy does is it simply gives us permission. It simply gives us permission. And if I look at, say, some of the commentary and discussion we had around the overcorrection piece from 10 years ago, I think there's something in that that we could create the space Mm to give permission to think radically different around how we look at work type workforce workplace as you mentioned fiona and I think there's something within our gift to allow and to as I say um to give that permission to your organization the other observation I have just um again dealing with some of your colleagues uh, and collaborating with you guys for some time is it, it, the mission not hope it'll be mission driven I think your enduring mission has probably allowed you to operate beyond the fringes of what's commercially viable so mm-hmm. I think it's quite it's quite unique to you guys. Uh, and there's some interesting insights in that Uh, and you yourself described as the feeling internally shifted from mission driven to people driven over the course of weeks which is uh, again i think we need another hour to talk about that mission values uh mirror i want to bring it to you Uh, i know you guys are also very mission driven and i actually read an article yesterday wasn't in the economist it was actually in the mirror and (laughs) it was a it was a piece on ding right um sorry a piece on you guys um Just Eat. So so Food Cycle, this uh, charity that provides meals uh, to the impoverished and uh, people who are isolated. So people convene in these big centres to kind of get a hot meal. And it was stopped because of of the the social distancing. And it was Just Eat who stepped in um, to help with the delivery and the continuity of that charity. And I'm also aware of the work that you've done with all the different restaurants and takeaways where you guys have offered and created, uh, I think it's somewhere in the region of 1.5 million Uh, worth the services uh, to the NHS workers and I know that runs deep with you can I ask your observation over the course like it's an unusual question over the last couple of weeks Mira and I know you have a very strong value set what value has been tested most and what you observe of that testing
2: that's a really interesting question because as a business and, and again I should reiterate that we've done Lots of work. So when we set up the program around how we're we going to approach this pandemic, we were clear that we had different stakeholder groups that we needed to support and address through, through, this, the, through the challenge. Um, we had employees, we had restaurant partners, we had our courier network, um, and we had those key workers um, alongside customers, et cetera. And so we were very clear that we needed an approach that supported the most vulnerable in our category and our stakeholder group. So for us, it was really important to ensure that we continued being that partnership, not just being that partner during times of um, positivity. We needed to be there throughout that relationship because that's what stands us in good stead for any future conversations, et cetera. And so we ensured that our approach to COVID was supported across the entire org, which is why it wasn't just me as a people function going, this is what we're gonna do for our employees and this is all we're gonna do because it's about who we have today. So a bit like both the owner and Jane talked about, we're we're treating everyone as independent individuals with different needs and helping and supporting them. So yes, we had packages available for our restaurant partners. We provided support for couriers that, would go against the gig model for example because that's the right thing to do and we didn't just do that in the uk we created an approach and a framework that then we were able to deploy in each of our markets so yes in the uk we supported food cycle but in some of our other countries we've supported local agencies local charities um, that needed the support at the right time. So in Italy, we did hospitals rather than a charity, but we also did the equivalent of a Food Cycle Charity as well. So, uh,
0: And how would you describe the vibe or the new music in the business recently, Mira?
2: It, it's it, It's balanced because we've got this pandemic, we want to support the stakeholder groups through that we're we're taking our employees on a journey we understand that the world of work is going to look different we potentially understand that consumer customer preferences are going to change what does that look like and at the same time we're we've still got the pandemic to go well actually what does it look like how do we come out of this as a bigger society um and what and what does that look like so as an organization we're positive But at the same time, we're cautious in terms of, we need to do the right thing and continue to support um, as we go forward.
0: Well said, well said. Fiona, thanks for coming back. Um, You mentioned three constructs in how you view your role, human uh, leader, HR. Could I just pick you up on the leadership piece, please? Um, Do you think there are any emerging competencies that we need to consider both for ourselves and, and also in how we look to mold Ability, competency, and skill of our leadership peers for a more robust recovery. you A new skill set of leadership. Do you think?
3: Um, I think uh, again at the risk of repeating myself, I think it is expediting the need for something that was already emerging, which is, um, is is ultimately you could call it EQ, you could call it connection, um. You know, it is being a uh, much more human centred, centric leadership, um, you know, ability to be vulnerable, um, ability to be open, you know, these are human skills that typically they have not been viewed as being professional skills. And um, there's obviously lots, lots, you know, over the last number of years about this, but I think um, this moment has know i guess rip the plaster off from my perspective because you know we can all tell the leaders whether they be political world leaders business leaders those that are authentic invested prepared to make the tough decisions the human decisions prepared to talk about the difficulty and the 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 um uh the inherent tensions in potentially getting things wrong maybe getting them wrong and then having to explain them like just the real life challenges of the moment that we're in and leaders who are doing best in that moment are those that um are not trying to be something that they're not that they're actually bringing their real their true selves into their communications with their organizations and their employees and their shareholders and their stakeholders whoever they may be or their citizens in my view at least and i think that is that is the big um ask i think you know the newer generation of leaders are i think start with that anyway um yeah Yeah,
0: that's well said you you remind me of two things one is actually another life lesson with nasa um around uh, assuming positive intent i think it's a very powerful thing and if you couple that with vulnerability that you opened your description with and you mentioned the word citizen you remind me of a discussion we had with Margaret heffernan and she used the example of the citizens assembly in Ireland, where they effectively crowdsourced opinion on a very political or a hot political issue to bypass political impasse. And the outcome of that was um, that the wide spectrum of views of people on the ground who this would impact most that created the robustness in the process of decision making and gave it legitimacy. So those who didn't believe in it respected us because the process was open transparent and involved a wide spectrum of people and i think there's a, a valuable lesson in both of those and everything you've just described uh, fiona so eloquently uh, for all of us i've one final question um and, I, and i'll open it up to each of you if you don't mind i opened this conversation with uh, that famous quote from jfk uh and and i'll finish with that um he mentioned a decade of hope and fear what's each of your hopes or what do you hope we retain from this crisis and what do each of you fear we may lose in the decade ahead jane
1: so i hope that we retain i guess it would be obvious based on everything that we have all said uh the people focus so for instance i really hope that we pay attention to people were selecting for supervisory and managerial roles. Are they really good people leaders? Are we paying attention? Because in the end, not all the answers will ever be available from some one source. We have to have people who have judgment and who can retain that. Um, I, what I am, so I'm hopeful that we will do that and that we will, that has taught us a lot of lessons about what it means to manage people and manage work. My only fear is that I think that we, um, we don't really have a good read on overall resilience. I think we have generally a very resilient workforce, but we have so thrown so many things at our people uh, from a keeping the work going 24 7 to looking after their folks and that we will lose some of that or at least temporarily a little bit of the optimism through sheer fatigue and are we really doing enough then make that point
0: keep on okay. assuming positive intent Jane and uh, good luck to you and your yes. team next week
1: Mira Thank you.
2: I think. In terms of positivity and what I'm hopeful for is that we take the lessons that we've learned as a result of this um, pandemic and we apply it. So I would hope that since since working and doing that piece of research with the CIPD, actually we can fundamentally change what the workplace looks like and that would be awesome. My fear is almost the opposite of that, which is we treat everyone. The same. So we believe that everybody wants to work from home because that's not true. There are some people that this situation working from home in isolation just does not work for them. It causes more anxiety, it causes more stress, it causes more pressure. And so I'm hopeful we won't treat everybody the same and expect everybody that the new world of work is remote working because that won't work for everyone. So my fear is that we treat and decide That the world of work is very different and is right for everyone.
0: Well said, Mira. Mira, good 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 luck and good health, and keep up the uh, the good work. And uh, to you and the team, Fiona.
3: My hope is that I think the moment has proven that we are all interconnected globally, business-wise, socially, you know, interest-wise. There's a lot more that connects us than is uh, than divides us, and you know that's very true from the point of view of opportunity. Uh, development social connection and and there's a there's also you know dynamic of being intensely local so that you can you can be part of this global global world and global opportunity um and also be very local to your community and and be connected to the the, the immense opportunities that exist for us um, the 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 risk of that though is our responses are often very you know by country by country and whether that will push um us back to very localized focus on things more politicized focus on things and i think that would be that would send the world backwards and send business and the workplace backwards um, but we're all in you know industries and organizations that take a very global view and beyond global even in one case and um, so i'm again i'll go back to being an optimist um, it's a fear but i i i'm you know i'm going to be optimistic about it
0: Universal globalism ahead of nationalism. I love it. Um, To each of you, to each of you, um, I hope the coming decade serves to organize and measure the best of you, your people, and as hazardous and as challenging as this might be, um, I I, I truly hope it's an adventure. Thank you all for joining us. Um, For each of you, thank you guys. So, everyone else for tuning in with uh, 1,070 people uh, register for the series. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, we're back next week um, for a second installment of our collaboration uh, with NASA and uh, delighted to be joined by Bob Gibbs, who's the Associate Administrator uh, of Mission Support, uh, Heath Slawner uh, from Simon Cynic Inc. and former Irish rugby captain Rory Best. Um, we plan to convene through a virtual um, round table uh, to give you your say. So if you choose, or if you have an interest in participating, please type Y into the comment box in the right-hand side of the screen and we'll be in touch to organize. Till then, keep well,
1: thanks.